Hello, welcome to today's episode, Juicing the Numbers, your statistics and sports podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Tracy. And I'm Corwin Heller. And uh, uh, we're doing the movies edition. Today's the movies edition. The movies we're talking about today are the 1957 film The Bridge on the River Kwai and the uh, 2002 film Frida about the life and times of Frida Kahlo. Corwin, are you ready to go? I am ready. All right, then let's take this journey over to Siam. Uh, we assume, I think, uh, we guess, uh, and talk about the bridge on the River Kwai. It came out in 1957. It was directed by David Lean, r- written by William Boulay uh, and others, which we'll get to later, starring William Holden, Alec Guinness, Jack Hawkins, and Susuya, Susue Hayakawa. Um it has an estimated budget of $3 million. It has a total worldwide cumulative gross of $27.2 million, making it a good success. I also think that figure is probably inaccurate because it says its U.S. gross is also $27.2 million. So I'm going to assume they just didn't have good metrics for that. It had a no, 100... allowed to be shown anywhere but the U.S. Not even England. <laughs> um... It had it has a 161 minute runtime. Its tagline, which we made fun of before uh, this recording, is "It spans a whole new world of entertainment," which is terrible as a tagline. Um, it was nominated for eight. Sentence. Yeah, yeah, and the thing is, it could be applied to like any movie ever. Mm-hmm. Um, which again, it's just such a 1950s thing. It was nominated for eight Oscars, winning seven of them. It won Best Picture for Sam Spiegel, Best Actor in a Leading Role for Sir Alec Guinness, Best Director for David Lean, Best Writing, Screenplay Based on Material from Another Medium for Peter Boulay, Carl Foreman, and Michael Wilson. Although at the time, Carl Foreman and Michael Wilson were both blacklisted, and so they received no screen credit. They were posthumously awarded the Oscar in 1984. Uh, Best Cinematography for Jack Hill. Hildyard, best film editing for Peter Taylor, best music scoring for William, sorry, Malcolm Arnold, and it was nominated for but did not win for best actor in a supporting role for Sasue Hayakawa. Corwin, what did you think about this movie? I just realized this is Obi Wan Kenobi's only Oscar win. It is. A little sad. I know it's a good movie. Two Oscars is like a big deal, but at the same time, I love Alec Guinness so much. Yeah, he was nominated for a bunch. Yeah, well. Uh yeah, I mean I I don't want to say I love this movie. I think it's it's a fun movie. I enjoy it. It's one of those movies where I watched it as a kid because I was super into watching, you know, army movies because that's the kind of kid I was and this was one of those classics you always hear about and I wanted to give it a shot and at the time I was like, "All right, yeah, this is, you know, old classic 50s war movie like it's got all the quirks you would expect both good and bad um it just has one of those nostalgic feels to it even though i am very much not old enough to be around when this movie came out and i've only seen it one time i feel like it's it's part of like this it's a part of pop culture where like almost everyone knows what this movie is and like no one talks about it because barely anyone's actually seen it they just know like oh yeah that was a war movie with the bridge um so it's got a weird feel about it but it's still very enjoyable um definitely didn't notice all the quirks that like drive me nuts about this movie you know as a kid as you do now 
Um, and, you know, it's not perfect, but it's got this charm to it that, like, overall, that's probably the biggest thing for me where it's a good movie. It's not great. There's a lot of holes you can poke into it. But at the same time, like, the charm that it carries, Alec Guinness's performance, uh, it's just one of those, you know, it is a classic for a reason. Yeah, it's kind of a weird watch because I've seen this movie a bunch of times. It's a movie my dad often falls asleep to. Um, it, it's it's considered to be like every dad's favorite movie. It has a very dad movie feel. Um, I, I that's probably the best way I could describe it. But it's it's it's, it's, it's as Ron Swanson's favorite movie. If you need any, yeah, it, yeah, yeah, it is. Feel of this. It is every like generically white man's uh, over the age of forties like favorite movie, um, which is fine. Like this is a good movie. I like this movie. It's 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 a good movie, um, but I never remember. So you know, I, I don't think I said at the top of the show, but it's about a bridge. It's about British POWs um, as you know British prisoners of prisoners of war taken by the the Japanese during World War II, being forced to build a bridge on the River Kwai. And that's the movie. And the thing is, because that's the title, that's the movie. Yeah, that's that's it. Uh, But because that's the title, and because like I always fixate on the two best performances in the movie, which are Alec Guinness's and Susuya Hayakawa's, that I constantly forget how much of the movie is not spent on them, and is instead spent on a, a William Holden like doing William Holden things. Yeah. Which came up with the native girls. Yeah, well, like which we'll get to, I'm I'm very sure because mm-hmm. oof. <laughs> it is by far the worst part of the movie. Mm-hmm. But um the parts of it that take place in the camp are fascinating. They're great. Yeah. This movie falls so so victim to something that, that I think is just so distinctly nineteen fifties. And again, we'll we'll talk about it. It's very uh I it is the exact same opinion I share about the Kane mutiny. Um Anyway, anyway, we'll get there. But Alec Guinness provides an amazing performance. Uh, it is, it is perfect for what it for what it needs to be. Sasuke uh, Hayakawa also, I think, does a phenomenal job in this. Um, I it's very the, indifferent about his character, or I, at least his his performance of that character. I really like what he did with the character. Um, he doesn't have to do too too much, but he ha- he shows a good. He, he he plays the part with good tact and you can constantly see that he's not a buffoon and he's not his he's evil but not mustache twirling evil he's a bad guy but he's not insane like he's he's a dick but a military dick like i don't know i i he it's not like a mind blowing performance in the way that Alec Guinness's is, but I can I have a great appreciation for it. Um, it's the, I think the reason why I don't latch on to it in the same extent is he doesn't do enough for me to be worthy of you know an Oscar nomination and to carry that weight with it. Like I don't have any complaints about how he portrayed the character and how he you know carried himself. Like you said, it's just he doesn't have nearly enough screen time and he just doesn't show me enough in that screen time to really say, Oh wow, that was a notable role. Like that was a notable acting experience. 
it's it's nothing crazy that you know there are definitely worse things uh to be nitpicky about as, as there always are um so give me give me some of the high points uh let's let's no actually let's start with the low points so we can end on the high points what are some of the parts of this movie that you are not terribly fond of i initially went into this and was going to say all right you know this is a movie that i've seen before i know the story i'm not going to take a ton of notes i want to enjoy this you know because normally like when i watch these movies if it's something new i kind of get distracted with wanting to take notes of things that i'm you know noticing and you know think i might overlook so like i'm always on my phone writing down notes and if I've seen it a ton of times, it's like, all right, I already know what's going on, so I can take notes and not worry about it and just kind of like go through it. But like with this, it's like, all right, I know this is a film epic. I want to enjoy this experience. I'm not going to try and take notes. You know, we're going to be talking about this tomorrow, uh, later tonight. I'm just going to roll with it. But then they show this fucking commando raid having a goddamn pool party with these bitches that they brought along behind enemy lines on this island close enough to be within fucking walking distance of this goddamn military camp what the fuck like i get with these like older movies there's a suspension of disbelief that you kind of have to carry along and i understand you know movies from this era aren't meant to be just factually on point you know nobody was really asking you know producers in hollywood to put out these uber realistic portrayals of you know events the way you know some are now you know they don't have access to the information where you know these inaccuracies become more and more noticeable even though this is just so far beyond that you know there's a different feel to these movies it's meant to be romanticized and you know with this especially being an epic it's like you carry with it when you watch it knowing that you're gonna just have to accept them some things and it's just the way it is and it usually doesn't bother me but the whole aspect of that like just bringing all these women along like i get you know maybe not a whole lot of men in the village that they're being taken to the railroad sure they need people to carry supplies sure but for like every male professional commando in this to just be like yeah i'm gonna fuck the shit out of you tonight just at every single turn, every interaction, no professionalism shown, no expertise shown. They're just fucking hanging around, smoking cigarettes, talking willy-nilly, blasting the radio, fucking doing whatever. You know, nothing whatsoever made me feel like, all right, these guys are the best of the best. Blew my mind. Had to stop the movie to write like six paragraphs of notes just complaining about this. Just couldn't get over it. Well, it's outlandishly fucking stupid, and it, and this is and again, this is such a 1950s thing to do in cinema, where it feels like they're trying to appeal to everybody in the movie, you know. So they've got like, I, you know, what everyone likes island chicks. Give me one of those ethnic broads. And it's like all of a sudden, at a, at like the romance in this movie didn't need to be there. You know what a hardened World War II movie about POWs doesn't need? Hot island babes. Like, <laughs> do you hear how fucking stupid that sounds? Oh my god! This 
this part of the movie was a hundred percent developed by like old stereotypes of Hollywood producers sitting around in the sun by the pool doing mountains of cocaine and drinking excessively. Oh, 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 yeah, it, yeah. No all, in. all of the and of course, of course, it's the American guy that's the womanizer, you know. Of course, they had to make it like the American dude who's like, I don't care about the military. I'm here to fuck bitches. Um, it's just, and it's not even, not, it's not, hold on, let me, let me rephrase that. Even though it's terrible for a whole bunch of like general sexism reasons, mm-hmm. as you also said, it's just terrible writing. Like the scenes away from the camp are the worst scenes of the oh. movie. They literally, if you took away, I was thinking about, because I was thinking about it while I was watching the movie, as I'm sure you were too. If you took away all of, uh, I keep forgetting this guy's name, William something or another. Holden? Well, that sounds right. Yeah, William Holden. Holden. The name of the character, or the name of the actor, excuse me. Yeah, so if you take away all of William Holden's scenes and just have him reappear at the end of the movie, um, along with the other two British guys trying to blow up the bridge... You'll get what happened. Yeah. Like, we're not dumb. You know, if you can if you can expect your audience to understand the rationale for why Alec Guinness's character would have a slow devolution that eventually brings him to the construction and protection of a bridge that ultimately serves a cause completely um combatant to what he has literally been fighting for as a member of the military fighting for the Allied powers, like you can expect us to understand that William Holden's character probably like either got roped into or volunteered to like go back to blow it up. Like it's not, a, that's the easiest jump to make. Right. Of course if, he would. If you cut out every one of his scenes, but left in scenes showing him surviving after he's shot. Cause like if they, if they showed him falling off a cliff into the river after being shot, it's like, Okay having him show up two hours later is like, who is this person? In all honesty, who is this person? I have no idea who this is. Leaving that in, maybe a scene where he's picked up and it's like, we need you to help on this raid. Sure, five minutes of that exposition and five minutes when they all meet up behind that rock and you know, instead of him dying in the water in the river, he dies in the arms of Alec Guinness who now has to face the fears or face the the fact of life that he caused more Englishmen to die. He turned into this psychopath, whatever you want to say his character arc is. Five minutes there, five minutes in the middle, five minutes in the beginning. You just cut an hour ten out of the movie and it's an it's a near perfect movie now. And how about the bizarro little arc they decide to give the young Canadian guy who joined the British Army by having him be like, you know, like they ask him, "What well, would you kill a man if you, if you in cold blood, if you had to?" And he was like, "I don't know." And then later on, he gets the option to, or the ability to, or the opportunity to, and doesn't. And then after that, he does. And man, does that shit matter at all? No. Like I, I, that <laughs> character arc was so unnecessary, and it was like so clear. It's like, all right. This is our James Dean lookalike, so that we have sixteen-year-old girls coming to this movie. Uh, and, and, 
Exactly. That's what was so <laughs> spot on. It wasn't something I thought of, but you were so spot on with like, yeah, they wanted to hit every demographic. That's exactly what I'm saying. They had they had the young hot dude. They got the military guy. They got the bad foreign dude. They have the hot foreign women. The uh, uh, <laughs> I hate it so much. Uh, because like legit, they they treated those women like goddamn furniture. Oh, completely. I mean, I get there's a language barrier. And, you know, I won't be too nitpicky, but, like, did any of them speak or, like, attempt to communicate other than, like, giving them dreamy eyes and, ooh, I'm going to shampoo your hair with this shampoo that I conveniently brought along on this fucking camping trip we're going on? Or, like, whatever wild shit. Like, oh, my God. And, like, all of the hot 20-something women in this village were all just single and ready to hobble. They were all just ready to like carry the armaments of British and American soldiers without any real questioning why because of the language barrier. Like, I mean, to be fair, that's probably the most accurate representation of the British military there is. Just like, yeah, we're going to have the native women do it. I Oh, man. Like, the fact that that one British soldier, like like the, the, the head British dude that came along on the, the return trip was like, willing to go forward against all odds like he got uh, shot in the foot but like he was going to keep trudging on but uh now we'll stop for the pool party like <laughs> you know everyone's got their limits and and when i see a good hot spring oh boy just gotta roll around in it for a while yeah it's just like that scene in particular might go down as one of my most hated scenes in like cinema it's just so ridiculously over the top. And like, okay, if a war movie's not super realistic to make it, you know, enjoyable, yeah, I get that. One of my favorite war movies is Kelly's Heroes. Dude stealing gold with a fucking German tank. That's not believable. But like, come on, man. Ugh. Just, no. it, it was so acceptable leading up to that. And then it's just like, who cares? And you know what really drove me nuts uh, on this viewing? Uh, all I could think of after they, they successfully blew up the bridge was, how the fuck is that dude getting back with one foot and no men? Yeah, he's not. Like, with all the, all the gear, and even if they left all, like, most of the gear behind, like, you know, they were camping out and shit. It was several days tracking. He, he's dead. And right after he gets shot, they show him like, oh man, it's just a it's just a nick. I'll be okay as long as, you know, I can walk on it. Let me dip it into this jungle infested water. Okay. And it's like, dude, your foot's gone. Like, yeah. Your yeah, no, like, left foot is gone. It's fucking black in like yeah. 30 minutes. Like, you're dying. Like, you need you to have, cut it off. You likely have a better survival rate if you try to fucking amputate and cauterize your stub of a leg. It, yeah, before letting that fester. Ugh. Oh, I I know, I know. It 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 was basically a I'll suck the poison out, but for bullet wounds, mm -hmm. which again is also one of my least favorite movie tropes in the world. You can't. It's not like the poison's just sitting there waiting to get sucked. <laughs> it's in your blood, bitch. You're gonna die. You know what you need? You need a an anti venom. You do not need a pair of moist lips. <laughs> oh, gross. Um, I think the thing is, I think that's like my only big yeah. complaint. You know, like I really, I'm racking my brain here to see if I have anything to complain about with like the, all the Alec Guinness scenes and like the camp scenes. Um, maybe 
a better understanding of how fast that fucking bridge was built because they went from it's impossible to having it done very on time. But I mean, that's a pretty minor complaint. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things where it's like, I kind of was back and forth about like, Oh, this isn't believable. And then it's like, this is like the biggest British stereotype. It's like, Oh, I don't want to build a bridge for the fucking enemy that's captured me, fucking tortured me in this camp, and it's just brutally violent. Eh, but my uh, commanding officer's telling me to, so let's have fun with it. Let's try to enjoy it, you know? Chin's up, guys. Let's go. It's like, yeah, all right, I can kind of totally see that. Again, I don't I don't want to believe that because it's, it's ridiculous that they would be so willing to just you know, pick themselves up by their bootstraps and become successful engineers and bridge builders, but that's far and away my least concern with this. Like, yeah, the, the aspect of, you know, what we just talked about is so monumentally higher on my list of, like, things I care about about this than motivating prisoners of war to build a fucking bridge. Because, again, it took up, like, an hour of the movie. Yeah. This goddamn pointless ass side story. Like, this, I, I just can't get over. How... Go so go ahead. <laughs> no, you go. All right. This might be how <laughs> I finally learn how to like edit video successfully. Just trying to recut this movie and just remove all that bullshit and just make a watchable version of this movie. I would love to see it, especially because it would be, again, like an hour shorter. <laughs> Because uh, the, the thing I just can't stop thinking about is how much detail they gave that hour that mm. just makes it worse. Like the fact that William Holden's character like was a janitor who like stole a dead man's clothes to look like a, a, a what was it a major or a commander and some shit like that. Uh, um, he was a commander. That's what he claimed himself to be as you know in the camp. And then like he goes and like gets recruited by these commandos, and they're like, yeah, I mean. You're nothing. We know you're nothing. But, you know, you're a high-ranking officer now. You know, there you go. Yeah, and he didn't even question that. He'd be like, so you're going to, like, contact the U.S. Army and say, hey, we got a janitor here of yours who was pretending to be a commander, so we're just going to make him a major. Uh, You guys are good with that, right? And then the Army would be like, oh, yeah, totally, of course. (laughs) That's how the Army, like, actually works and, like, other branches of the military. It's like, hey, I'm a commander now. No, you're not. You're a major. And it's like, sure, okay. <laughs> and it's like, like if you think about it, it's a, it's a huge deal, not just for like the world of military rankings, but like he died. Like someone has to collect that pension, you know? Like there's the the difference between a a a janitor's stipend and a major's stipend is probably fucking colossal. Like imagine imagine his mother having to go through the trauma of being told, like, oh, your son. Major Holden was just killed in action behind enemy lines on a daring raid to disrupt enemy movement. And she's like, I'm sorry, did you say Major Holden? My son's a dipshit. He cleaned toilets for a living. Like, (laughs) what are you talking about, dude? This is the wrong dude. That's how I imagine (sighs) 1940s mothers would speak saying yeah, I, I, I can't yeah. imagine yeah 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 no, I, I he's from california from, he's, yeah, he's from Ryan. california uh <laughs> it's it's it hurts it hurt to watch 
It was so fucking stupid. I hated it. And I hate um, that we're fo- we have to focus on this so much because the rest of the movie is so good. I know. Uh, real quick, just because I referenced it, um, it's it's the same thing that happened in the Kane Mutiny, which if anyone's never seen it, it's a phenomenal movie. It's one of my favorite Humphrey Bogart movies. He plays um, uh, a, a a captain of a naval ship who gets has a mutiny because he's an insane person and his crew like revolts. They form a mutiny, um, but it keeps cutting out from that story to show a bunch of scenes from like the first mate's girlfriend like every time they'll like they dock every now and then or like they go to her personal life and it's just like what the fuck are we doing here but it's because the first mate who was not a good actor was like a young attractive man and they were they which that's a selling point and then there was a romance aspect so that was a selling point but God damn it! It was just like half an hour of a two-hour-long movie that did not need to be there, and this and it came out around the same time as this. It's just such a this era thing. Like this, this wanted to be Mutiny on the Bounty combined with um, any World War II movie, and it's not because part of the plot of Mutiny on the Bounty is that they get washed up on an island full of island babes, and then have to decide whether or not to leave. Whereas William Holden just wanted to fuck Island Babes, and that didn't need to be part of the movie. <laughs> I like that that's his essentially, you know, essentially is his like defining character trait is like, yeah, he's the dude that fucks. That's it, right? Yeah, that's fucking, that's his character. He's, he's like, he's like, uh, like a, like, like a loner kind of dude in the prison, and then yep. he escapes. Fucks Alan Babes. Yeah. It's, it, he's got a weird-ass dynamic going on. But anyway. Uh, shall we switch to the positives? Alright, well, tell, tell me some of the high points of this for you, then. Um, outside of Alec Guinness's acting, which I think you know, surmised the high points of this movie as just Alec Guinness, um, you know, uh, is his beliefs and you know his view of the rule book of both you know British law and the Geneva Convention aside, like what he does and the personal sacrifices he makes for what he believes is the betterment of his men is uh, it. Uh, I'm trying to think of the right vocab word for it but it's you know it's extremely honorable he's an extremely proud man and i respect the hell out of it um and he's one of these characters where you don't like him because you know he's doing things in the wrong he's in the wrong but at the same time the way he goes not even the way but what he's trying to accomplish by doing so is just something you believe in and it's it's a very clear break in how you view this character and it's very much up for debate so i'd love to hear your thoughts on this on the uh, the greater character that is is whatever sir alec guinness's character's name is uh, colonel nicholson ah, that's right yeah Basically, you know what he's doing is for the right reasons but you know, is he is the grand scheme of aiding the enemy so that, you know, 
you follow the rules for the better of for the better good. So what what I like about the movie uh, is is the the subtlety or at least the logical re- rationale mm-hmm. that that uh, Alec Guinness's character has in order for him to do the things that he does. So you know it starts off with him being justifiably defiant that officers shouldn't do work because it's literally in the Geneva Convention. I have a copy of it. See, look of it's right here. And then getting slapped in the face and then refusing to back down off of that point uh, and spending a lot of time in essentially uh, a hold just just to, to emphasize and turning down food when he gets summoned into to, uh, Colonel Saito's office. Like, mm-hmm really sticking by his guns showing that he truly believes in doing what's right and when he eventually rec- when they eventually reconcile that difference uh you know and and Saito says all right I won't make the officers work he says like all right let's actually build this bridge for real because the men need something to do you know he was he was just like we can't be stuck here not doing anything it's not good for morale it's not good for 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 our 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 boys he's like you know it's not good for them to be dicking around like this i know we're in a pow camp but like base the basic idea was giving them a sense of normalcy will be good for them even though it's pow camp work mm-hmm. so that in a, in of itself is also that like that makes sense like that is a very fair point like having soldiers who are used to structure and order do work that involves structure and order and doing it the right way so that it can be rewarding because if they put it in the original bank that they had chosen for the bridge and it sunk morale would obviously be lower like putting it on a spot where it wouldn't sink and therefore not destroy the work also makes more sense and i think this is just a case of not seeing of of seeing the trees and not the forest like yeah because he just he kept seeing these objectives and all of what he was saying made sense, you know, and eventually like you build a thing, you're, you're proud of it. And that was the goal. Like he wanted to be proud of it. He, he was, he was proud of himself. He was proud of his men. He told them as such. He, he was committed to it. He, he, the thing is he said that the guys needed something to do. So did he, he, he needed to feel like a leader. You know, he's a high ranking member of the British military. Uh, he worked very hard to get there. He, 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 really feels himself as a leader you can see he has great respect from his men which shows that he clearly is good at what he does i'm sure he takes pride in it and he he just could not step back and see what was really happening and because he needed it he needed it for him and then once he finally gained the perspective uh in the you know final climactic scene he did well, I mean, he kind of fell down doing what he was supposed to do, but he still did it. He still blew up the bridge. Right. Uh, but I, I get where he was coming from almost every step of the way. You know, obviously at the end there, it the, the great moral question being, should you work this hard? Uh, mm-hmm. I, I get his reason for it. I'm not saying I, 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 well, fuck, man, I don't know if I do any of the things in this movie, but I... I can certainly see how he will get there. Uh, I think that was beautifully said. That was everything I was attempting to say, but due to my complete lack of, you know, ability to speak the English language, um, couldn't quite piece it together word for word. Um, But I agree completely. 
And as much as I have hated in the past on, you know, character arcs that just kind of come to fruition all at once and like there's, you know, just, oh, instantaneous, like, oh, okay, I'm a better person now, whatever it is. I think the way it was done in this was beautiful. I loved this. I loved, you know, Sir Alec Guinness's character basically looking over the bodies of the Englishmen that, you know, in, you know, indirectly he was trying to save. You know, these weren't his men, but he was still trying to do good for, you know, the English soldiers under his command. He's seeing their bodies. He's seeing, you know, people that he should be leading die because of his direct actions and misguided attempts to, you know, build this bridge. And then it has that moment where it's like verbally saying, oh shit, like I fucked this up real bad. Fuck. All right, here we go. Time to, you know, seal the deal and try to do some good here. And I don't know why this, you know, is so different from other movies I've complained about this for. Uh, but I just, I love that turnaround for him. I think, you know, you try to do something soapy with it and it just isn't effective at, as, you know, portraying that change. And I feel like having this instantaneous, like almost epiphany uh, works really well in the tone of this movie. And uh, I really liked seeing that. And the way he did it was very good. So I just wanted to share something with you that I, I, I just read. Um, so uh, just a few bridge facts. You ready for some bridge facts? Ooh, love the bridge facts. All right. So on the first take of the final bridge sequence in which the bridge is supposed to explode, uh, the explosives on the bridge did not detonate. The train crossed over the bridge safely, only to crash downhill on the other side. <laughs> Wow, that's an expensive take. <laughs> Apparently, this was like the most expensive part of the movie, this whole bridge thing. You mean um, building an actual working bridge in the jungle and then having an actual train like being blown up with it? You're telling me that was expensive? What? Well, that's the thing, my friend. Um, They built two bridges. <laughs> a temporary wooden one and a permanent steel one uh, steel and concrete one a few months later both bridges were actually used for two years until they were destroyed by allied aerial bombings uh the steel bridge was repaired and is still in use today oh you're talking about reality right like yeah real life i did know that yeah i thought you were talking about like the filming still and i was like who who actually blew up these bridges what like what are you talking about didn't this get filmed in like california or some shit um also, yeah, that, that's uh, a really uh, cool fact. Apparently, they used elephants to build the bridge. Because, of course, they did. Uh, the elephant, elephants employed in helping build the bridge would take breaks every four hours and lie around in the water, whether the crew wanted them to or not. Yeah, I feel like directing elephants is not exactly uh, more you know, closely related to herding cats than you know, having Air Bud on set. I'm not sure you'd even be allowed to do that anymore. Oh, there's, I'm actually going to say know, definitely was, you can't. I just looked it up. This happened in Sri Lanka, which, you know, essentially India. Uh, I imagine you could get away with a lot in Sri Lanka, even today. You're probably right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you're you're probably right. Um, 
I'm not sure if I really have too much else. I didn't have a lot of notes for this. I, I really haven't. I, I've been lacking in my, my note-taking recently, which um, has been a benefit for Josh the movie viewer, but to the detriment of Josh the movie reviewer. So, so uh, Corwin, do you, do you have any more notes? <laughs> um, do you know who uh, Grogan is? The character named Grogan? Wow, um, that name rings zero bells. Yeah, he was the guy essentially with the big nose. He was also in uh, the mutiny on the bounty. Oh, was um, he really? He was the guy that whips Marlon Brando. Oh, okay. Percy Herbert. Okay. Actor's name. He plays the same character in this, Sergeant Grogan, as he does in the film uh, The Guns of Navarone. It's the same character. Uh, oh, okay. Wow. That's very it, odd. It's so minor. Like, it, he's a minor character in both movies. It makes no difference. I honestly don't know if his name is verbally spoken in either other than in passing, which is why I'm not surprised you don't know Grogan off the top of your head. But I was just looking it up and, you know, happened upon the fact that this is just the same character, Sergeant Grogan. Uh, huh. Yeah. So so there exists uh, a an expanded universe in which the guns of Navarone and the bridge of the Requi, yeah. um both happened during World War II? Yeah, and he just happens to have fought in both theaters at essentially the same time. Well, get this. Carl Foreman was the writer of both scripts. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So Look at that. So the Guns of Navarone happens... Do you remember what year they said this takes place? I think it was 1942. I'm going to have to defer to you. I do not recall. Um, if you want to try looking it up, sure. It's not that big of a deal. I know the uh, I do have the Wikipedia page open. Um, 42 to 43. Okay. The Guns of Navarone takes place in 1943. Uh, likely later on in the year uh, when it's chilly because it's kind of cold out when they do this. I imagine at some point he gets rescued and those prisoners are released or, you know, freed. Uh, I'd love a sequel made to this movie like 60 years later, uh, just bridging the gap between these two. The guns we'll on the river Kwai? Yeah. Fucking do it. Sorry. I'm so sorry. I felt so bad when I was saying because I heard you also saying uh, it. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it happens. <laughs> Uh, it's honestly probably funnier that we both said it than if I tried to like play it off as a joke and you were just like, get this, sh get this shit out of here. Um, That'd be a weird crossover movie, yeah. but I'm not opposed at all. Do you think they could get Alec Guinness to come back? Uh, almost certainly. Yeah. Yeah. I think he'd prefer to do anything that's not Star Wars. I think we should have Harrison Ford play him and just not mention that in any capacity. Just have Han Solo playing Obi-Wan Kenobi and just not mention it. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with anything. Because apparently the Star Wars universe has no rules. We just sold a movie. Let's do it. Yep. Are we George Lucas? <laughs> no. Hey, I have an idea. Let's let let's have uh, a World War Two or let's have a movie that, that, that involves an atomic bomb being dropped, but everyone just hides in refrigerators. And then everyone's okay. Oh, that movie was so unbelievable. <laughs> I hate the king. What is it? Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. 
Dude, does it matter? It's just crystal skull. <laughs> that phrase, those two words put together is ruined in the English vocabulary. The English lexicon should ban those two words just back to back in a sentence. It makes me sad. <laughs> um, all right, give me give me a final rating and review. Um, I don't know how else to put this other than this is a very charismatic, nostalgic film that by all means should just have the entire B story cut out of it completely. Honestly, I don't know if it's the B story. It might be the A story. Um, but regardless, uh, this is just a fantastic, near-perfect movie that is ruined by the fact that they're just trying to fit in every demographic uh, to try and jump up box office views. Um, you know, this would be a four and a half, maybe five movie if it was done correctly and just sliced it out, but I, I can only give it a three and a half. And even that, I mean... No, I can't even say that's like being generous because it, it's such a good movie otherwise. I, I'm going to give it a four um, in part because I think it's got a lot of um, gravitas to it. There's, there's, mm-hmm. there's, a lot of, there's a lot of weight behind the movie. It's a very famous movie. Um, and I think that, that warrants a little bit extra for should you see it purposes. Um, and also, like, the scenes that take place in the camp are all phenomenal scenes. It's just that like literally an hour of this movie is a waste of time. And luckily all the scenes during that waste of time, at least change pretty quickly. So you don't have to like, like if you just turn your brain off and don't question a single thing, like you'll probably get through it. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, just, just, yeah. But you know, don't think about it that hard. Uh, but the rest of the movie, I think, I think it's it's so goddamn good. I hate, hate, hate all those other scenes. But um, Allegan is is wonderful. Uh, all the British troops did a great job. Um, it's the the final Americans. scene of huh? Fucking Americans! <laughs> Fuck the Americans! Uh, the, the 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 final scene of the film, uh, like the the showdown kind of scene, is awesome. Super good. Um, one of the so best in film history. Yeah, it's so I, classic. I it's perfect. I'll, I'm going to give it four stars. Um, God, if it wasn't for that just waste of time hour, uh, it'll get higher. But four stars for me. Um, so, are you ready I, to? I move? will say one final thought. It <gasps> feels like two movies were made. One that was very carefully created and just is an image of a director with a vision for what this movie should be. And the other was just produced by, you know, classic stereotype Hollywood producers, just trying to make a, a a mass appeal movie. And it just kind of got layered together. Yeah, no, half this movie was written by a guy with the typewriter and the other half was written by an old dude with a cigar in his mouth. (laughs) Uh, I feel like the guy writing on the typewriter also would have a cigar. Uh, if you told me that a thousand chimps wrote the second half or not second half, but like second, second storyline, story. yeah. narrative. Yeah. Uh, I would very much believe it. Uh, I mean, that was most Hollywood execs in the fifties. Just, just a thousand chimps <laughs> just in a suit. 
Uh, all right, then let's move on to Frida. So uh, next up, we got the 2002 biopic Frida. Um, it is about the life and times of Frida Kahlo, the famous Mexican painter. It was directed by Julie Taymor. It was written by a whole bunch of people. Um, Hayden Herrera wrote the book. Um, the screenplay was written by Clancy Siegel, Diane Lake, Gregory Nava, and Anna Thomas. Um, it stars Salma Hayek, Alfred Molina, and Jeffrey Rush. Um, it was nominated for a few Oscars, but we'll get there. Uh, it had an estimated budget of $12 million. It had a cumulative worldwide gross of $56 million, $56.3 million. So a success, I would say. Um, this, the tagline of this film, do you want to guess at like, the theme of it here? Uh, Harry it's, Unibrows. It's also not good. It's called, uh, the tagline is, prepare to be seduced. God, can we never not a good do tagline again? I can't do these taglines if they're all going to be this bad. Who comes up with them? I don't get it. Oh my god! Random word generator. It, that's what it's, it feels like. It's like a word cloud that's just picking the biggest words. And like, there's a lot of sex in this movie, but I mean, it not like enough to. It's not that much of a plot that like you yeah. need that as the tagline. Nope. And, and anyway, um. It was nominated for six Oscars. It was nominated. It won two. It won for best music, original score, and best makeup. Um, best music for Elliot Goldenthal, and makeup was Johnny Jackson and Beatrice de Alba. Uh, it was also no, it was nominated for best actress in a leading role for Salma Hayek, best art direction for Felipe Fernandez del Paso and Hanya Robledo, uh, best costume design for Julie Weiss, best music, original score for Elliot Goldenthal and Julie Taymor. Uh, Corwin, what'd you think of Frida? I want you to go first. I, yeah. I would like to hear your thoughts first. I I love this movie. Um, I, I loved it the first time I watched it. I loved it again this time. Um, I am so fascinated about this point in time. I also am a big fan of Frida Kahlo, so I, I am uh, a tad bit biased in my opinion of it. I think the movie has some obvious issues. To me, the most glaring one being, hey, what year is it? Um, because How long has it been? <laughs> because those are never addressed, and it makes following the chronology of it a little bit difficult at times, but I think Salma Hayek's performance of, in it is wonderful. I think um, Alfred Molina is is phenomenal in this. I think it provides a great backdrop for what her art is meant to represent in terms of how she lived her life and the woes in which she endured without getting too specifically into most of her pieces, um, and which I actually enjoy. I Part of me was like watching this and saying to myself, I wish they'd talk more about the art, but I'm kind of glad they left it to being more of a biopic and less of, then she painted this, and then she painted that. Uh, so that was uh, a bright spot for me. But I... Uh, yeah, I I love the artwork so much. I am fascinated by Frida Kahlo, the person. And um, I love this point in politics, and politics is a big part of the narrative of the story. So I'm a big fan. Yeah, I'll definitely say the politics side of this movie was far and away the most enjoyable and, for me, meaningful part of this. Um, it was, re- uh, you know, Josh, I, I hate to say this, but like it was the only aspect of the movie that i really connected to um i i did not know who frida kahlo was going into this 
I, you know, will be the first to say that I am not an art person in the, you know, paint on canvas aspect of art. You know, like I view movies as an art form, you know, a very beautiful art form that is very expressionistic. I don't know if that's a word. I'm just going to move on. Um, And that I can connect to really well. And looking at, you know, a painting where it's paint on canvas, I just, I've never felt anything from that. And I've never been able to connect to that kind of art. And I'm not, I don't want to take anything away from that, but it's just never something that I've, uh, valued is the wrong word. It's just like, that isn't for me. And especially with this, it was just a lot of, I don't know who you are. And while I really enjoyed Salma Hayek's, you know, portrayal of this woman, this, you know, uh, extremely independent and strong character, regardless of gender, the art aspect of it, I just, it did nothing for me. Um, I thought it was really slow. I just couldn't get into the movie. I just, I was kind of bored throughout until it got, you know, very political towards the end. And she really started to open up with her, you know, expression and standing up for, you know, her values and, you know, what she believes in. And I, I don't know. It's, this was definitely a movie where I feel like watching it with you to kind of talk through it while seeing it for the first time definitely would have like been beneficiary. Um, and I just, I couldn't, I couldn't enjoy it as much as, you know, I would have wanted to. Well, I can, I can certainly appreciate the fact that if you are not super interested in the subject matter of a film, you might not find the film captivating. So I, I can certainly appreciate that aspect of it. I do think it's interesting though, because I actually have as one of my notes that the movie moves decently quickly um, in the beginning because I, I, again, maybe this was me just being enamored by it and it felt like it moved faster for me, but I thought that they moved through the scenes of her life actually rather at at a pretty decent pace, whereas you might get more drawn out versions of that and other, like the scenes of her in the hospital in the beginning after, um, after the accident. Right. Pretty fucking quick. Like they had what, like two scenes of her in the hospital and then she was out. Um, and like in the road to recovery or or whatever you want to call the next part of that journey. Whereas I feel like, which was a relief because, and this is something that we talked about with time crimes. Like we get it. Like once you establish what the purpose of that scene was, we got it. Like you don't need to milk it. And, uh, they certainly could have sat there in the hospital and like, milked the fact that like she was in pain and it hurts and you know they got to give more pain meds and of course she experienced pain her whole life and like that does come into play later on but like they showed her in the hospital in a cast in the bed in in her house and i so much appreciate that yeah it was just one of those things where like to me watching this story it's like okay i don't know the backstory of this i don't know where this is going this is watching a woman basically go through her life where not a whole lot is happening. Like, okay, she's in an accident. How is this going to affect her? I don't know. It's she kind of it like it just it it wasn't anything that drew, there wasn't anything that drew me in to like want to care about this character other than being like, oh, okay, like she's struggling. I get it, but like I. 
there's plenty of people that struggle. There's plenty of movies that depict this. What makes this something that I want to, you know, invest in? And nothing really ever did until very much later in the movie. Um, and I just thought, like, the overall narrative, the overall story, just not much hap- not enough happened for me to be able to get drawn into this this life of hers. Uh, did you ever did you look up any of her paintings after the after you'd watched the movie? I did. I don't think they're very good. <laughs> I I looked at them and I watched I looked at a lot of her self portraits and I was like this It's mostly self portraits, yeah. Yeah. Like these this is not something I'd hang in my house. If uh if I you know commissioned a painting of someone and they painted me in that style. I can't say I would be very happy. Um, <laughs> I, I felt bad because I was like, wow, okay, this is a very famous painter. It must be very good. And just was like, ah, this is, this is honestly pretty, pretty ugly altogether. I just did not like it. Well, that's lovely yeah, to hear. I know, I know. As someone who has Frida Kahlo uh, framed print in his apartment... <laughs> Um, I guess you. I'm a fan, my friend. I'm a fan. Um, I personally love like the the callbacks like traditional Mexican painting styles, but like I, yeah, yeah, I did like the transition from like these still paintings to moving picture into these scenes. I enjoyed that. I thought that was very unique. I've never really seen that before in that manner, Uh, and I thought it was you know very stylistic and you know opened up the movie a lot i just you know uh it's hard to it's hard to really appreciate something you just don't like (laughs) uh that's the problem i felt so bad throughout watching this entire thing just like oh man someone like i knew you were a fan of this movie just from talking about it when you picked it and i knew a lot of people really loved this movie and it's just like, man, I just don't know what I'm missing here. Like this, this is just gonna have to be one of those movies where Josh and I disagree, and I just chalk it up to like, I don't know why I'm wrong. I just kind of accept that I'm very much in the minority here. Well, the the, the thing is, I I don't think you're 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 very unjust for having that opinion because it's not like if if you said um, that. I, I don't know if you had a, some other series of complaints i i would like that were technical or um i mean i i, I can't quibble with you over not being gripped by the story that could just come down to not again just not knowing the art like like if if you lack the context for it it, it might just not be for you i don't think there's anything wrong with that um like Listen, that's just how it goes if Frida was fucking banging native chicks in a jungle item island, I'd be like all for it. But you know, she's banging old fat dude to turn into Spider-Man villains, and I just can't get behind that. Uh, uh, did you ever look up pictures of the real life Diego Rivera? Yes, I so much doing that. I regret doing that. He's when genuinely she called him scary a toad looking. in the movie. I was like, oh, that's a mean thing to call your you know husband. And then I looked him up, and I was like, oh no, like that is incredibly accurate in you know his description like the man is in fact a toad oh he's a he's a fucking ogre um so what one of the reasons i 
I, I, I found this movie fascinating because if you look at Frida Kahlo's paintings, they are very rich in symbolism. Uh, and it can oftentimes be easy or tough to decipher what's happening in them, just depending on how deep that symbolism gets. And Frida's always had a decent amount of accessibility in some of them, like seeing, um, I always forget what it's called, but it's the one where you can, they actually, they actually showed it in the movie, the one where you, where you're like, you can see uh, her spine and it's all cracked. Um, and that one's very straightforward. You know, like she had back problems her entire life that, that inhibited her greatly and ended up leading to like gangrene in her foot and like losing a leg. Like, that one's very straightforward. Um, but seeing, she's seeing very like casual about losing her foot, by the way, that was it very much stood out to me. Well, I, I, and that's the thing that I, I so thoroughly enjoy about seeing in this film is seeing just how remarkably ballsy and tough she was. Mm -hmm. You know, she everything bad you could possibly expect to happen to a person, like reasonably speaking basically happened to her and she just like rolled all of it off her back with the exception of Diego, which she eventually ended up getting back. Like dude slammed ass, which again, how, how so goddamn ugly, but like was like fucking yeah, actual models. And she was just like, eh, Hey, come on. Like we got to like get to a dinner thing. Um, just let that like fucking slide. And then like fucked her actual sister. And she still just like forgave them both. Like, yeah, it was my fault. I shouldn't have left you alone with them. Like, God damn, that's some cold shit. You know, she got into a, into a, a horrible uh, trolley accident or bus accident or whatever it was. And just like, I, I'm just going to start drawing all over this shit until something cool happens. And wound up becoming a painter. She fucked Leon. She fucked Trotsky. <laughs> like, yeah, God that damn. was wild. That was new information for me. Yeah. I was very much unaware of that. Yeah. Like, seriously, this movie could have been like 30 minutes longer just talking about the politics that these two were involved in. Like, man, bananas. Probably would have liked the movie a lot more if they did. Uh, well, and honestly, I'm sure again, a lot I don't, of people would have hated it a lot more if they did, though. So, well, see, that's the thing. I don't, I don't think that's true. I, I honestly think that this movie was like, not like an hour, like like thirty minutes longer, and got into a little bit more of the politics that you see at the end of the film. I I I'd be strapped to see how you'd have a, a problem. It, it's a fascinating part of the movie. I think because this movie came out twenty years ago, uh, you know, progressive, liberal, socialists, you know, not quite communist, but you know, on that side of the spectrum, wasn't nearly as. A, acceptable in the public view as it would be today and i feel like a lot of people would be would think negatively of frida because of just her association with you know the red scare um you know in a in a greater extent i don't know i i, I was three when this you know was coming uh, out I, I, so I, I get it like pol politics can be tricky in film especially because most of the film community probably believes in all the things Kahlo and Diego were fighting for. And, uh, well, yeah, yeah, you know, but like, how wild is it that like Diego was Diego Rivera was like, uh, uh, hired by the goddamn Rockefellers. Like, yeah. <laughs> like they went to New York and it like, didn't even matter. <laughs> like that was barely a blip on the radar of the movie. Um, which is crazy, crazy. Um, 
But I, I love it because it, it really informs a lot about like what she went like if if you only know the paintings and not the painter, it, it's gonna be tough with someone whose work is as personal as Frida Kahlo's is. If you don't know if you don't know anything about Salvador Dali and you look at a Salvador Dali painting with all the weird shit going on in it, like whether you get it or not, the painting itself is most of the context you need already. So it's not like a huge deal if you don't know anything else about Salvador Dali. But like if you look at um, Diego on my mind is an actual painting, or if if you look at um, uh, Te- Te- Tejuana, or if you look at um, uh, Frida uh, with a what's it called uh, thorn necklace, like these all have imagery that's very specific to who Frida Kahlo is as a person, and this film does I think like I said like a really interesting job of presenting you with all the information that informs these paintings without necessarily getting into all of the paintings themselves in like the way that Bohemian Rhapsody the film just kind of showed you hey you like these queen songs here's how they made them um because that's not fun um and again you would have missed out on some of the cool shit like the fact that she fucked Trotsky (laughs) like yeah yeah I, that's that's uh, I, I guess the the strongest basis for I also Sam Hayek did a phenomenal job as did Alfred Molina I mean like my God oh, those yeah. two really did a great job but did she uh, win Best Actress for this she did not she was merely nominated for it uh, who, was, who did she lose out to what were the can you like look up the other nominees that year yes I have it in front of me give me just a moment oh uh, this is the year Chicago was one Best Picture she definitely oh. lost to Renee Zellweger um. No, she didn't. Uh, they both lost to Nicole Kidman for The Hours. Um, also yeah. nominated that year was Julianne Moore for Far From Heaven and Diane Lane for Unfaithful. So those are the five nominees. Uh, I mean, none of those really stand out to me all that much outside of Salma Hayek in this. So that's uh, a shame. Yeah, I've seen The Hours and I don't remember The Hours. Um, Renee Zellweger did a wonderful job in Chicago. Uh, but I'm not sure if I've ever seen Far From Heaven or Unfaithful, but I mean, both those actresses are good, so that would certainly make sense. Uh, whatever. So, so at what point does Frida's essentially loyalty and devotion to Diego cross from just not really... Like, she clearly doesn't care enough about you know these extramarital affairs to and their relationship it bothers her but she's able to move on with their you know with their life together and you know have this relationship at what point does that go beyond you know independent and empowering to almost uh i don't know what the right term would it term for it would be um i don't want to say like dependent uh or weak because i think that's too far but where would we draw this line? Because I don't know where she falls on it. So that's actually one of the things I think is also interesting about Frida Kahlo, like the character in this film, is that it shows a really interesting separation of physical affection from romantic affection. You know, like she is capable of not only separating the physical side of their relationship in regards to... um uh, Diego's extramarital affairs, but also the fact that she can have all the sex she wants, men and women, um, and still feel as though she's missing something from Diego. And I think it's because he provides for her a 
peace that she just doesn't get from other people. He has this artistic side because he's a fucking artist that is, she's it's tough to find. Like he's a very talented, gifted artist. He's very involved in politics and believes in these things very strongly and is influential in that community and and has a lot of power in that respect. And those are those are traits that she you wouldn't just find in, in other people, especially to find them together in that way. And while he was an ogre, uh to to actually fucking look at he had these traits that were outside of the realm of sexuality that she really i guess just found so captivating and all this in like the 20s you know that's one of the things that's also just so fascinating about this film like the the 20s 30s and 40s this wasn't a fucking thing i don't think you could even get a divorce really in the u.s at that point without jumping through significant um legal loopholes or um uh hoops that's the word i'm looking for hoops legal hoops so th- th- to to see this this type of separation of those traits is really astonishing again especially for the time period in regards to how healthy the attachment is i don't fucking know yeah. I, I got i got no fucking clue i mean she was clearly into this dude since she was like 10 or however or maybe not 10 like 13 or however the fuck old she was in like those opening scenes but I got, I got, oh, I, got I kind of thought she was like either college aged or like late into high school because like she's banging that dude she's with. I hope she's not like 13, but like, you know. I'm whatever. pretty sure she's so, like 13. Girl with her sexual opinions. Uh, I'm pretty sure she's like 13 because um, I do know like a little bit about her life and I'm pretty sure that they led. That that's not mentioned in this film, and I, I'm pretty sure that like her and Diego met um, at a very young age for 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 Frida, um, and they just like ch- didn't age down Salma Hayek that aggressively, which I, I don't. I never blame anyone for not doing like aging someone down too aggressively. Always looks terrible and is always distracting. So hello, fellow kids. <laughs> it is me, young Salma Hayek. Give me your dick, little boy. <laughs> Yeah, I'm just gonna uh, I'm just gonna pretend like if she was meant to be 13 when they met, that uh, this is just non-linear editing, and that sex happened to happen years later. You uh, you already jerked off to it, didn't you? Oh God, no! All right, <laughs> let's not. FBI agents <laughs> listening into this, let's just not even go there. <laughs> Agent Frick, cut the tape. I am uh, I am very open to joking on a wide variety of topics. That no, I'm not doing that. <laughs> yeah, just just let it die. It's yeah. okay. It's okay. I, um, Penn State. I hear enough of those jokes. Oh, I, I don't go to Penn State, but I used to. <laughs> you you are an alumnus of Penn State. Yeah. Uh, um, can we talk about Trotsky for a minute? Go right ahead. That is not Michael Gambon portraying him. That is Jeffrey Rush. I don't know if I could ever confidently pick one of the two out of a movie that the other one is not you know standing next to in a scene i just am just taken away by how similar those two look together or look holy shit i didn't believe you and now i'm looking at michael gambon and i'm like oh yeah that's jeffrey rush (laughs) um but his accent in this movie is just i wanted to pull my hair out listening to it it's terrible Oh god! It's Not only so is it bad. an atrocious accent to begin with, 
it just comes and go at yes. will. Oh my in god! In the middle of sentences, just he. It's just there's no rhyme or rhythm. There was clearly no like vocal coach on set working with him. I just don't know how they like heard him speak like this and be like, this is better than just not having you do an accent. Like I don't mind when movies just choose not to do that just because it results in a better picture overall. Like if actors are significantly worse at portraying their abilities and these characters because they're so focused on half-assing or just not even half-assing, just poorly portraying an accent. Don't do it. Suspension of disbelief exists. You know, as much as we complain about it going over the top, accents are the least of my concern. Yeah, and honestly, because this movie is targeted so heavily towards uh, English-speaking audiences, because mm-hmm. why else have everyone in Mexico speak in English? <laughs> um, just letting. Um, I really was about to say Michael fucking Gambon now. God damn it. <laughs> Just letting Jeffrey Rush speak in his native uh, English accent would have played perfectly fine. No one would have batted a fucking eye. Someone who's like super sexist and hates the idea of having a female lead, you know, a female empowered film would be like choosing that as something as just like another piece of cannon fodder to like complain about. But no one with any self-respect or, you know, respect in the industry would be bothered. No one cares. Uh, no, it's, it, it really, really doesn't matter. And uh, it's, a, it's a shame. Because uh, the Trotsky part of this film is captivating. Mm-hmm. But I, I have a note that the B storyline is just way better than the actual Frida storyline. Just because I was so more enthralled by it. Well, I bet you knew who Trotsky was before this movie started. You're goddamn right I did. And that's a big difference, man. I'm telling you. Huge. Oh, I fully acknowledge that that's you know, a huge reason why. <clears throat> yeah, uh, I don't really have too, too much else to say. Once again, I did not take many notes. Um, mm-hmm. I think this is well-paced overall. Oh, again, though, I do want to talk about my one major complaint with the film, and that is the fact that there are no... They don't give you any possible way to decipher how much time has been has passed. Yes. It's my only major complaint. It drove me fucking nuts. Because, like, I had Cal with me, and she'd be like, what year are we in? Mm-hmm. She was like, is this the 50s? And I'd be like, no, I'm pretty sure she was dead by then. Like, based on that painting, I'm going to guess we're around, like, 1937? Like, mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, like instead of having me just like fucking guessing based on my very loose um, uh, dating ability of Kahlo's paintings, like you could have just put in a black screen that lasted not even a black screen. You could have just put in uh, a, a lead in shot that had 1937 written on it or some shit. And they just didn't. And it made guessing how long time had gone on for so hard. Uh. As someone who didn't know when she was alive in the first place, I kind of just didn't even notice because the time period just didn't matter to me. It's like, I don't know when this is supposed to be. They clearly aren't making it so that you are supposed to know when this is supposed to be. 
we're just going to roll with the fact that this storyline or this story takes place over her life whenever that happened to be. And and that's the thing is like if if this film was about like a famous American person uh, living in America doing America things, you'd probably be able to figure out what year it is just from like general context clues, clothes people were wearing, um, pop culture that was happening at the time, things of this nature. Because the 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 fashion between what was going on in the states in uh, by the way, Frida Kahlo was lived from 1907 to 1954. Because of the fashion that was in the United States in those years was so dramatically different from the still relatively speaking traditional outfits that were worn in Mexico, um, although with obvious uh, more modern influences, you can't really tell based on that. There's no pop culture, there's no music, there's no films really that are in the film that would give you any guiding sense. Um, Not until, I'm trying to think, but like, not until really the Rockefeller scene do I think there's anything that a person who knows nothing about Mexican culture would get a feel for time. I don't, I don't think, I think it's the only, I think it's the first time you really get a sense of like where in history this is taking place. Um, because like, like the communist meetings could have happened anytime. Oh yeah. I feel like even if you, I feel like most people wouldn't even be able to use the Rockefeller and the Trotsky, you know, characters as a time frame because I feel like most people just kind of know them as like, oh, those are important people. They may not know the extent to which Trotsky, you know, was influential outside of he was that Russian communist. And Rockefeller, you know, as a family is famous, but I don't think John D. Rockefeller Jr. is you know, like, oh, that was the head of the Rockefeller family during the 1920s and 30s. Okay. You know, like, I know who that is because they ran Standard Oil and that's what my degree is in. I know who Trotsky is because I like history and politics and those two happen to come together in Trotsky. Um, but, like, even then, I feel like the average person watching would have not, like, almost no context, but no usable context to determine when this was from. Yeah. Did they show show any cars in this? Like automobiles? That's the other thing. Because Frida never drove, there was never really any cars. A lot of it was just walking around or taking place inside of apartments. Right. Because again, sure, like when we're in New York, if they showed like a, a view of New York City from the street or like leading into uh what was it Penn St- uh, rockefeller uh center right yeah that would make uh, sense that john d rockefeller jr owns rockefeller center who would have thought yeah uh, yeah there you go the the clues finally make sense and my thing is like can you sit there and be like well you know it doesn't matter um you know or, or if you just were a little more cultured and understood the, the the history and the politics of the time better you could put these things together that's all well yeah of course of course you fucking could if, if you knew everything about fucking everything yeah of course you could the point is it, it's, it's not good for a movie mm-hmm. you know like like if you're going to try to make points and guide us through a story that takes place over the passage of time you have to show the passage of time otherwise it becomes just a bit messy and um I love again. I love this movie, but like that is a huge 
note for me because it makes it really tough. If you don't know how much time is going by, it 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 makes it very challenging to understand the scale and scope of the transformation of characters. So, uh, yeah. 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 All right. What's your final thought on this movie, Josh? Or uh, if that was your final thought, what's your score? All right. Well, so so my 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 final word on it is I think it's a really good movie. Um I there are a few shots in it that I absolutely adore. If you're a fan of art, I highly recommend it. Um, look at some Frida paintings before it, and then look at them again afterwards. I, I think you'll be able to to find more things than you were previously. If you never heard of Frida Kahlo, if you never gave her a shot, I find her art to be fascinating. Um, I'm I am a big fan. That's why I watched the movie the fir- in the first place. That's why I picked it today. Um, obviously, that we just got off my whole thing about being able to tell time in this, but you can still watch it and like understand what's happening. Uh, I think it's a beautiful story of a, of a very tragic person that is Frida Kahlo in a lot of ways. Um, I'm going to give it, Oh damn. I'm wavering between three and a half and four. Uh, fuck. God damn it. I don't know. Um, somewhere fucking there. I want to be on the harsher side and say three and a half, but I really love this movie. No, nah, I'm going to be mean. I'm going to say three and a half. Um, the passage of time thing is really quite annoying. Um, it really but does bother me. But the acting in it's phenomenal. Salma Hayek's wonderful. Uh, Alfred Molina, who is not Hispanic, does a pretty good job with the accent. Um, really not? No, he's very British. What? Yeah. What? Yeah. What? Uh, bl- uh, what? Yeah. He's English? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, that is so far and away the most drastic like comment you've made this entire show. He was born in Paddington, London, UK. Holy shit. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of Alfred Molina now. Good on him. Dude. He's fucking. That's. I was telling Cal this. Like, he's never like main billing um, on a movie, but everything he's in, he's phenomenal. He's when so you, good. When you hear Alfred Molina's name, what do you picture? What movie do you picture first? For being honest here, I always think of Spider Man Two. Yeah, he's Doc Ock. They're, like, I know. I don't think I could ever watch a Spider Man movie with anyone else playing the character. Like, he's so good as that. Like, it's just. Not even like him being good at it, but like he's so, um, oh, what's the term I'm looking for? Like it's so, it's not, oh God, like he is Doc Ock, Doc Ock is him. Like it's so. It was just well cast. Yeah. It was perfect. Yeah. Uh, there's a very specific vocabulary word that's fairly common that I just can't think of because Adderall's wearing off. Can't really think straight anymore, but yeah. Uh, I I disagree with Josh on a lot of these points because I just I I could not get my brain around enjoying this movie. Uh, as much you know, I I'd laid my feelings out there at the start, but I just I love the character that Salma Hayek creates. I love everything about this character, um, other than the questionable loyalty to shitty boyfriends and husbands. Um, but she is this movie, uh, I'll give it a two and a half. 
but know that every aspect of that is because of her acting skills in this. And it would be higher if it just, you know, was capable of getting me to care. I'm sorry. It's okay, buddy. It's okay. Uh, All right, do you have your next week pick? Yes, but you go first. Oh, you're saving that. All right. Um, So... I I I I haven't watched a Robin Williams movie since he died because it makes me sad and I loved him and it was and you know what I want to watch. Uh so so my girlfriend wanted to watch a Robin Williams movie the other day and I said no and we had a whole like thing about it and I was like all right I'll I'll watch one but I'm going to pick a very specific one to start with. So I'm going to watch uh my pick is uh, uh Good Morning Vietnam. Ooh, all right. Wasn't the one I was thinking of kind of hoping for Goodwill Hunting? That's um, the one she like, asked for, but I was like, I I'm not ready. F- I'm not ready for that one yet. You're not ready for sad Robin Williams. You need happy to kind of like ease into it. Well, luckily, he's happy in the first half. He is sad in the second half, but like I'm hoping that the happiness of the first half just rides me through it. Yeah, I get it. I've seen Good Morning Vietnam once, and that was enough to be like. Oh, it was after he had passed away too, and it was like I just I can't do this right now. Like I need I need more time. How long has it been now? Like three, four years? It has to be longer than that. Ugh. I know it feels like it's only been that long, but it has to be longer than that. Are you looking it up? Because I am. Yeah, oh, I am. Fourteen. It's been six years. Has it really? Yeah. Oh my god! I miss that man so much. So, so like when celebrities pass, it's always a weird feeling because you never know them personally, but they've always had such an impact in your life. You know, to some extent, you know, Robin Williams, for a lot of people, had such a huge impact. I never really watched him. I never grew up with Robin Williams. You know, like the probably the most I ever watched him was. God, probably Goodwill Hunting. Like, I, I never saw Mrs. Doubtfire as a kid. Jumanji was something I saw as a young adult. I never saw Dead Poets Society as a kid. Like, I just wasn't experienced enough in what he had done until after he had passed. And then I was like, all right, I need to look into this because of how many people he touched. And, oh, my God, it just destroyed me knowing that, like, after looking into it and, like, learning more about him, it crushed me knowing that he was gone. What a just joyous human being. I, I, I can't think of anything bad to say about the man. Yeah, I mean, like, you, I, I am a person who grew up on Robin. Like, I, I grew up with uh, uh, Aladdin as a kid, and then Jumanji, and then Mrs. Doubtfire, and then I got into some of, like, his, you know, aimed at kids who were, like, in high school, like, my age, like, uh, like, Dead Poets Society and then Goodwill Hunting, and, you know, and then you watch Good Morning Vietnam and The Fisher King and all that, all, all the, the shit he got his Oscar nominations for, and, like, I, I would, I watched all his stand-up specials, I listened to all his interviews, like, I, I listened to him talk about, like, a bunch of really heavy shit at, at during times when, in my life, when I was going through, like, a bunch of really heavy shit, like, I loved Robin Williams, and, uh, I know it is so, so strange when celebrities die because you do not know them and 
There's a lot of shit out there in the world that says probably correctly that like you shouldn't idolize celebrities that much. But when you consume media in the way that the modern adult, the modern person, not even adult, consumes media and you tie it to so many events in your life and so much of what you go through, it's tough not to have it internalized and have some level of devotion or attachment or sentimentality towards towards celebrities. And Robin Williams is just one of those guys for me. Um as was, and I guess we'll, well, I'm going to give it a, a little bit of a mention, as was Rob Reiner, uh, to a much lesser extent than Robin Williams for me personally, but I was always a huge fan of Rob Reiner. Um, God damn it. Carl Reiner. Fuck. Carl Reiner. God damn it. I knew I was going to do that too. I knew I was going to do it because I always think of Rob first. Carl Reiner, who passed away. What? You finish first. Finish first. I was going to say, uh, Carl Reiner, who just passed away a couple days ago, by the time you listen to this, uh, he was the uh, man behind the Dick Van Dyke show. He was the man behind uh, the Steve Martin film that made Steve Martin called The Jerk. Uh, he was the man behind the 2,000-year-old man with him and, and, and Mel Brooks. Uh, he provided so much entertainment to the world. Um, brilliant writer. The, the, your show of shows with Sid Caesar. Uh, I mean, uh, he, was, he was in fucking Ocean's Eleven. Like he was, he was every guys in Ocean's Eleven, huh? One of the best guys in Ocean's Eleven. Yeah, I know. He 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 was he was just a perfect person uh, in in the world of comedy. He was a beautiful person in real life. Um, he was a, a man who who displayed nothing but goodwill toward towards fellow man and great friendship towards the people in his life. Uh, him and Mel Brooks had dinner together every night um for the past god knows how long um keeping each other company since their wives had had had, uh since they both outlived their wives um and i i watched uh some of the the dick van dyke show the especially the the um pilot for the dick van dyke show is actually called uh head of the family which is which was supposed to star carl reiner um and almost cried when he came on screen um so he also will be missed. We love you, Carl. I spun my copy of the of 2013, which was the follow up record to the 2000 year old man. Um, love you, buddy. We miss you, Saul. Are you, are you sure you're ready to do this? If you ever ask me that again, Daniel, you will not wake up the following morning. He's ready. Oh, love that quote. <laughs> I will miss him. Uh, I I am ashamed to say that I was yesterday years old uh, when I found out that Carl Reiner was the father of Rob Reiner. Never put that together. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, uh, I'm not happy about that fact. Yeah. Well, I'm going to, I'm going I'm to do you another one that, that uh, always throws people off when, when I bring it up, you know, Albert Brooks, the actor. Yeah. Um, do you know who his brother is? Mel Brooks? No. No, they're not related. <laughs> You're just throwing me on a loop now, because we just talked about Carl Reiner. He's like best friends with Mel Brooks. And then you bring up Albert Brooks. All right, go ahead. I know, I know. So, so, so you know who Albert Brooks is, the actor? Yeah. yeah. Uh, do you know who Bob Einstein is? Uh, uh, not entirely. He, he, he was, uh, um, what's his fucking character's name on Curb Your Enthusiasm? Marty Funkhauser. Oh, Larry Middleman from Arrested, or yeah, yeah, from Arrested Development. Yes, yeah. Oh, those two, brothers? those two are those two are brothers. Uh, oh, 
You know, so you know what Albert Brooks' real last name is? Because Albert Brooks changed it to Brooks. Because his real last name is Einstein. And he didn't think he could get famous being Albert Einstein. Yeah. Wow, that's pretty funny. Yeah. That one throws me off a lot because those two look nothing alike. And Bob Einstein Einstein always talked like like this, like you were hurt to get out. Mm -hmm. I love that. I like he's such a distinguished actor. Like he's you see him and you know exactly who he is. I never can relate him, like connect him to that name. Just like Bob Einstein is just so equally generic and unique. Like Einstein is a very unique name for obvious reasons. And you know, Bob. It's Bob. Well, it's a and then he, boring name. Ever. He got he got a uh, he got famous for doing um the uh, Super Dave Osborne, which was like a a, a mock of um fucking uh, the Daredevil, the famous Daredevil, um, uh, Evil Knievel. Yeah. And so, throughout his entire life, like if you ever like listen to interviews with him and his friends, or like bits of Bob Einstein talking to his friends, they always called him Super Dave. So, which I think is fucking hilarious. They call him Super Dave Einstein. Like, that was his first fucking name. <laughs> but anyway. Uh, so, to loop it all back, though, my pick for next week is Good Morning Vietnam. Ah, uh, yes. Now, for my pick, I've set up a game. Oh, God. I have 20 movies in a list. I want you to pick a number. 20. Ooh, a movie that was mentioned on this podcast. Kelly's Heroes. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. I'm game. I added that today. I was literally looking up on IMDb the character we were talking about, uh, Sergeant uh, whatever his name that played characters in two movies. Uh, and I was like, man, I should go watch more of these old war movies again because he was in a couple different ones. And I was like, all right, I'll go watch Kelly's Heroes. And I was like, ah, let's add it to the list, see how it turns out. But Kelly's Heroes, Clint Eastwood. Let's, let's fucking do it. I'm game. Feel some fucking gold. Some Nazi gold. Fuck that Nazi gold. One of, one of my favorite, and this is like a complete non sequitur, one of my favorite intros of any movie. I don't even uh, remember these strong bridges. It's just like super upbeat and fun, and it's just like driving through a battle, and it's just—it's so weird and so memorable, and it's just like I love it. I love it so much. It's like something I go back and watch on its own, just like when I want to get cheered up. I literally have not watched this movie in probably twelve years. Really? Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely been a while for me, but like, it. It's. A, I'm a fan. What can I say? This is this is basically going to be a first time watch for me. If we're being honest here. Love it. Love it. So hear. yeah. Right on. All right. So so Corbin's got Kelly's heroes. I'm. We got on my end. Uh, Good morning Vietnam. Those are the picks. So tune in next Thursday for that. Monday, we'll be hitting you with more sports, which, thank God, more stuff is starting to happen. So we'll have plenty to say. Here's hoping, especially since um, baseball teams are due to report in the next few days. So hopefully there'll be some interesting news coming out of that as well. Um, Hope all of you enjoy the 4th of July weekend. Uh, And 
That's really it. If you want to follow the show on Twitter, you can do so at JuicingPod. If you want to hit us up via email, you can do so at JuicingTheNumbers at gmail.com. And until Monday, y'all have a good one. Bye.